program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello and welcome to Share Your Hotness podcast with my guest, Brianne Vandergraaf. Did I say that right? Yeah. Okay, perfect. Because I'm like, wait, I had a I had a brain fart. So Brianne Vandergraaf. Now, Brianne and I... Um, how long have we known each other? Um, I want to say it's been a few years. Right, it's been a minute, and we're both yeah. in the deaf community. Brienne more than me, because um, I am no longer an ASL interpreter. So I feel like we should break down what ASL is, because I think you and I could both talk for days upon how exciting ASL and the deaf culture. And we're going to talk about the deaf culture with a capital D. So that's referring to a cultural group. Um, the inability to hear is a lowercase d. And that may or may not mean they're involved in the culture. But I, we, you know, I'm just going to speak for Brianne. We both highly encourage that if you have a deaf, as in someone who cannot hear in your life, make sure they're plugged into the deaf community because it will give them um, a broader cultural they can participate in Shakespeare and, you know, anything that we have in the hearing culture, people are like, I couldn't live without music. Well, we kind of have our own form of music in the deaf culture and poetry and all the warm and juicy things and sign language, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, is the language of God. I can get on board with that. You can get on board with that because, you know, they say in, you know, normal communication. So the hearing world, which is all the rest of us and Brianne and I both hear, but we have lived part of our lives in the deaf community, meaning we still could hear, but we were in the deaf community. And so we look upon, um, I was going, the hearing world is like, you know, this, this world is kind of like this cultural linguistic suppression of deaf people. And so building up this community is something that we believe in. And in the hearing community, most communication, they say, you know, like it's something like 80 to 90% is nonverbal. Well, in the deaf community in American Sign Language, ASL, those are part of the language. So it's really hard to lie in sign language, you know? And I had someone that I knew that, um, would do a lot of like hinting and trying to manipulate. And literally someone turned to her and was like, why are you being so hearing? <laughs> and this person was hearing, but she was bringing hearing. Oh no, it's not you. It's me. It's fine. I'm okay. Don't worry about me. Um, and doing all the body language stuff of trying to put responsibility on other people. And the deaf person is like, what is wrong with you? Your hands are moving, but you are not one of us because it's just a small part of the culture is the actual signs. Okay. So Brianne's like, why did you even bring me on? Cause you got so excited about deaf culture, but my degree, I have an associate's degree. It's the only college I've been able to complete five years of school. Got me to your degree. Cause I would 
drop out for a semester to earn money and then go back. And anyway, but my um, associate's degree is in sign linguistics. So I basically can argue how sign language is a language. And all of my classes were in sign language and most of my fellow students were deaf. So, you know, well, there you go. It's going to be a problem here because as you're talking, I'm nodding and yeah. you, and then all of a sudden I'm realizing I've just been quiet for the past few minutes and nobody knows that I'm like vehemently agreeing with you. Yeah. So you, you got to put, put your, your hearing, your hearing voice in and, um, keeping your deaf culture. It's fine. But people always ask me like, Lita, you're so animated. Have you always been that animated? And I'm like, no, maybe, but the deaf culture, it made me one of them. And so I just went for it more. Right. And you show it, you show what you mean on your face, in your body. There is no hiding. <laughs> right. And I love the honesty of the deaf community. <laughs> I just love it, love it, love it. So how did you get involved in deaf community? So actually, I was raised in a family with two deaf parents. What? You guys, you are meeting a real life CODA, child <laughs> of deaf adults, like the coolest Signature. ever. Signature yes. Later. <laughs> And there's a great movie. Have you seen the Coda movie? No, I've heard such good things about it. But it is very deaf. Yeah. <laughs> there's a particular scene with the father that um, hearing parents will be like, what, I, what, um, why are we? But there is nothing that you can do with your body that is off, um, that is inappropriate in the deaf culture to talk about. So they have a very different, everything's open. Mm, that is something it takes other people a little while to be used. So there's no nudity in this movie and they don't interpret this particular scene, but it you don't have to be fluent in sign language <laughs> to know exactly what this man is saying to his teenage daughter about being um, protected in the bedroom. So it is... Um, I kind of wish that I could just play that out for, for my kids, you know, if there's any questions. Right. <laughs> Everybody's looking at going, wow, sign language is so beautiful. And you're like, hmm. Yeah. It's very real. Yeah. <laughs> Which is something I love about it. Yeah, definitely. And I think we could all benefit by being a little bit more deaf. Absolutely. Because you have to, the language doesn't allow for the lack of ownership of what you're saying. Right. And everything that you do with your face, with your body, everything adds to your message. It, right. it creates the context. It creates the tone of your message. And so, like you said, there's a lot more to it than just waving your hands around. Okay. So explain to the audience, because I think you're, you're definitely the first CODA I've had on, <laughs> but why it's so cool that you're a CODA. Well, I may need some prompting on that one because I don't... <laughs> People ask me, what was it like growing up with deaf parents? And honestly, I don't, I don't know. I've never had hearing parents. So I guess I can't really. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> so loud. the more loud. <laughs> yeah, but that gives you. Okay. So uh, it was explained to me in my deaf culture classes mm. that like, there's the inner, the inner part of the culture are going to be the deaf people. Mm. And then, you know, the hard of hearing people mm. and then the CODAs. And then, you know, you move out a few rungs and it's people like me who hear, I'm a teeny bit hard of hearing. Like I have a hard time listening on phones, but I don't have any kind of deaf accent. I have not had 
um, you know, issues getting employment or anything like that because of my hearing status. Right. So I'm a hearing person to the deaf community. So I'm on the outer rung. So you're on the inner rung as a hearing person. <laughs> and when you were born, do you have do you have deaf siblings or hearing siblings? Um, all of my siblings are hearing. All of my siblings can hear. Um, so it's just just my parents who are deaf. And um, people would always ask me, like, oh, it must be really quiet in your house then. Like you're <laughs> deaf. And <laughs> yeah, no. Uh-uh. <laughs> no, because you can't hear how loud you are. So I remember like vividly one Saturday morning I was a teenager wanting to sleep in like teenagers do and my dad was making our Saturday breakfast which was like you know the pancakes or whatever like the whole like fancy Saturday morning breakfast and every single pan he pulled out the clank of the metal the the cabinet doors slamming shut and then bouncing their way to close it what like I walked out of my room like what are you doing (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to sleep and he was like I'm doing something nice for you I'm making you breakfast yeah well can you keep it down (laughs) (laughs) there was no I mean how how would you know how loud that is like right right yeah I totally do and and I love it there was um in our church services there's a part of the church service that is you know, quiet and retrospective. And there was this gentleman, Timo Milano, Milano. Anyway, he, he is, um, he has a laugh that I'm not making fun of him. It's just so delightful because I remember growing up and people telling me laugh, your laugh is terrible, Lita, you know, and having to moderate my laugh. Right. Um, my grandmother was, uh, you know, very culturally from the South. And so a girl had to be appropriate and I never really mastered appropriate. But anyway, no one ever told Timo because he's deaf and has two deaf parents that his laugh sounded like a hyena that met a rooster and what all somebody was being choked. And when he laughs, it is such this joyful, amazing, loud sound. So you're in this part of the church service and it's this quiet, you know, time and Timo is sitting there giggling, talking to a friend on the other side of the room, which you can do in deaf culture. And, um, you know, you're just trying to be like thinking about Jesus and how you did that week. And there's this sound that I could not possibly mimic, but on a live couple of years ago, I ran into Timo and I was like, Timo, you gotta laugh on this live because I got to show my friends how awesome it is. And it sounds like, I, I hope it's really clear. I'm not making fun of him because it just shows how much we augment as hearing people, the, the oozing out of our joy when we laugh. And then when we cry, how we stifle that and hold that. All afraid of making noises that would make other people look at you. Okay. So give us some more fun experiences. I know you've never had hearing parents, but I'm sure you've had enough conversations with your hearing friends, meaning people who grew up in the hearing world mm-hmm. who don't understand deaf culture. Just give us some juice here. Cause I have hearing parents. <laughs> right. Mm. Okay. I guess like the biggest thing for me is like, I don't know if you've ever been yelled at in complete silence, but it is the most <laughs> you will ever have uh, i have witnessed someone being I, <laughs> being yelled at in in uh, hearing language is terrifying enough and i've had my fill of that 
Um, but I saw a couple fight. Mm -hmm. So you describe what this looks like because I only have the, the one (laughs) and I was like peeing my pants. It was so terrifying. It was like almost assault. (laughs) (laughs) It is terrifying. It's terrifying. Because all you hear are like the the contact that your hands are making together. And right, so it's going to be like this kind of thing, and, <laughs> you know? Right. And the problem is that like the quieter, I'm using like air quotes, the quieter the signs, right? So like the smaller space the signs are taking up. So like normal conversation is not going to have a... Right. Sounds. So when they become imagine, loud... Right. I mean, imagine when you're upset, you talk a little bit louder. So when you're upset, you sign a little bit harder, if that makes sense. And so especially, you know, we're sitting in church and we're misbehaving. And um, my dad's up at like sitting on the bench behind the pulpit. And like, he's like, I'm watching you. Like, you know what I mean? And it's really quiet, really subtle. Like, I've got my eyes on you. Now, did you go to a deaf congregation or a hearing congregation? I went to a deaf congregation for most. Okay, time. so he can yell at you from the pulpit that you can't in hearing congregations, but then all of the congregation has seen him be like, "Stop it!" <laughs> he's right? Pretty, he's pretty good at like being subtle. Like he'll just kind of catch your eye, and like it's almost like he'll sign on his lap, you know, like his hand uh-huh. on his lap, but he'll just kind of like, Mm-mm. like you know, and we're sitting there like. Or, you know, sometimes when you're in big trouble and like you're in the middle of a store, you don't want to, you don't want to yell or, you know, whatever at your kid when they're in the middle of the store, you don't want people looking at you. So it's, it's really quiet. Like, I'm going to get up really close to you and like, you knock that off and it's <laughs> quiet in your face. But I, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just this terrifying, silent barrage of (laughs) well my mom and I think all moms including myself have you know the mom stare down Mm -hmm. right and it's you know I can turn it on I mean I can't like mimic it but if you know there's I can and you know my children will wilt so you need to take that and you need to magnify it by um the fact that they will be like I these are the consequences that are going to rain down upon you in the deaf culture. Like nobody knows, like nobody else in the store even has a clue, (laughs) especially if it's, you know, a hearing store. Right. Right. You know, um, a hearing store. (laughs) (laughs) We call those stores. (laughs) Yeah. We call those stores, but you know, like the hearing world and going out into the hearing world. And, um, so I saw this couple that I saw fight because you can read sign language just like you can hear you can hear from your peripheral. You don't only hear things that come straight at you. Now, I used to be good at sign language that I could read it out of the corner of my eye, but I'm not as good now because I haven't lived in the culture as much. But this couple, literally, she was signing around his ears and he was signing around her ears. So the signs (laughs) are going back and forth from their respective heads to their faces. So they are like, the the signs are really being thrown at you. <laughs> it's like 3D. <laughs> yeah, and you're like, um, you know, just centimeters away from having an eye poked out. <laughs> and I did once scratch my chin signing, ven- ven- you know, um, 
passionately. <laughs> um, I, evidently, my vocabulary suffers when I'm thinking about sign language too much. But I literally cut myself across the chin. Yeah, no, it it is violent. I've I've knocked my glasses off my face. I yeah. I hate. I can't sign in hoodies because those little um, tassels. Well, yeah, I flick them in my face all the time. Oh yeah, collateral damage. I knew exactly where you were. I'm like, <laughs> I got you. Yeah, big, big earrings. Um, so I was an interpreter in, in Washington, D.C. These were my cool days. And I actually got a, um, I don't know if maybe I should do a drum roll so you can be impressed. But I actually earned um, one of the spots to got you debt. Oh. And ended up, yeah, I don't know if you gave an appropriate response to that. Like, whoa. As <laughs> a hearing person, that was like getting into Harvard. Um <laughs> It's super big deal. Anyway, I met my husband, married my husband, you know, um, story kind of thing. But um, I always wore black. So do you want to explain why? Uh, yeah, and Brianna's wearing black right now as well, Brianne. Um, and so do you want to explain the why interpreters should wear solid colored clothes? You want to explain that? Yeah, so when you're interpreting or when you're signing, you want things that will contrast with your skin tone. And so typically, though, on, on the other side, if you have darker skin, you'll wear lighter colors. So that it Like tans, not whites per se, because that can be a little glaring to look at, you know. But you don't want to have to stare at, you know, a big, a big pattern or neon colors or whatever. It just gets distracting when you're trying to follow hands and and, you know, you don't really want these like patterns. So solid, dark colors including black, which is easier because black matches with, you know, whatever else you want to wear. Right, right. So it'll contrast with, with your skin tone so that your hands, your face, everything just kind of pops and your clothes are kind of muted from the background. And tell me if this is your observation as well, because I have not done an official survey. <laughs> but it seems like deaf people in general tend to be a little bit more muted in their patterns in general. Like right now, I'm wearing a leopard print shirt. And I don't know if it's just because I had so much of my life in the deaf culture was as an interpreter, because I could hear, you know, um, but I always wear, you know, more muted patterns or solids. And it just kind of seems like the deaf in general do that. Like I've never seen one in like a houndstooth shirt or something. <laughs> I mean, you see it occasionally, but I think you're right. Like, especially when that's your main mode of communication, nobody wants to get a headache when they're whether that's because you're screaming in that like in their face or if it's because you're wearing a neon like right. even though you're looking at the person's eyes you're kind of reading from the peripheral so you're not like watching their hands and your head darting around no no but, but like i'm staring into the sun while i'm trying to talk to you it's gonna get really right weird. i also noticed that uh fingernails are typically short you know um and you know people will be like why is that and i'm like well if you have one um, tongue piercing. Okay. But if, imagine if you had 10, mm -hmm. you know, it's just one more thing that's on your tongue that would make you pronouncing letters a little bit more difficult. But if you had 10 different sparklies on your fingers, <laughs> you know, right. and having long fingernails or blinged out, you know, maybe just, you know, um, I was encouraged in interpreters to have them, you know, short, clean, no polish. So sometimes like people get away with kind of a muted color, but right. My idea is jewelry. I mean, 
jewelry is a little bit more of like an occupational hazard, like <laughs> the face of it. But, um, but yeah, jewelry can be distracting. Like necklaces, rings, mm-hmm. earrings. I typically are a thing because you know the ears are just there to be decorated for a deaf person. <laughs> they have no purpose, you know. So might as well pierce them and decorate them and do whatever, right? But um, necklaces, just like your little hoodie things, could flop up and hit you. And so that's going to be an issue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. So um, how did other kids with deaf parents, was that like a cool thing? Or did kids kind of like not sure what to do with that? What was your experience interacting with the hearing world and hearing children? Um, it was a lot of hearing kids were kind of sometimes a little like taken aback like I don't know how to interact with you I don't know how to interact with your family um sometimes like sleepovers could be a little like wait I'm going to your house like but your parents can't hear me what happens if there's a fire well fortunately their sense of smell is intact and their vision is also intact and there's things called fire alarms (laughs) right (laughs) and so you know we'll be safe don't worry (laughs) you know right right little things like that so a lot of it was kind of education like this is you know a lot of people just have this like lack of information because it's different it's not like meeting a deaf person isn't something that everybody has experience with right right so so a lot of it was education. A lot of people, a lot of people thought really cool you can sign and, and, you know, there was kind of, they thought it was really cool. You could sign. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And that, you know, I could spell the alphabet with my fingers. They're really so cool. That gave me some street cred. Yeah. I can sign the alphabet, both of my hands simultaneously. I won't uh, bore everyone on the podcast showing off the man. <laughs> because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> a moment of silence but it's like a party trick <laughs> and, then, and then and then you clap wait you wouldn't hear me clapping because <laughs> clapping in sign language is you raise your hands up and you shake your palms um you know like kind of like jazz, jazz hands. hands yep yeah <laughs> so that's how you clap and I actually think it's kind of fun like when my kid knows that even though my kids are hearing um I will clap for them sometimes like that because then they can see that I am clapping for them you know <laughs> <laughs> I and that. I personally think it's better. It's not as loud. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's more inclusive. Like, but it's this physical instead of instead of having a noise to say, I'm proud of you, I'm I'm celebrating you. Instead, like your whole body is in it. Your arms are up and you're like, woohoo. <laughs> the Share Your Hotness podcast is brought to you by Vanguard Media. Hi, I'm Chris Van Garrett, founder and chief marketing officer of Van Garrett Media. If you're a business owner or a knowledge worker, you know that crafting your own voice and message around your brand is absolutely crucial to your success, especially in the COVID and post-COVID era. But how do you do all of that at the same time still work on your business instead of in it? Don't have a website? Is your logo one of those $50 specials from Fiverr? Was your tagline just stolen dialogue from a 90s sitcom? Hey, we've all been there. You had to start somewhere, am I right? This is where Van Garrett Media can help. We specialize in digital marketing and branding for small and medium-sized businesses. We get to know the root and soul of your business, finding out what makes you tick and why, and then we craft a message that'll make your target audience see you as the solution to their needs. We'll then bring them to you through targeted marketing 
efforts using everything from social media and SEO to email campaigns to old-fashioned television commercials, radio, and press releases. You can find us on Facebook. Just search out Van Garrett Media, two R's, two T's, or give us a call, 801-386-3896. That's 801-386-3896. Mention this ad and get 100 bucks off your custom branding package. That's 801-386-3896, or check us out on Facebook, Van Garrett Media. Okay, I want to go to that about the body because I want to go to that in a minute. But I want to delve in a little bit more on your experience as a kid. Um, so did you uh, did you feel isolated from other kids, or were people kind of like, "Ooh, this is different and unique," and that made you kind of cool? Um, sometimes it was it was a little bit of both. I I and I've talked to my siblings about this too. And and in some ways, we kind of felt like we were straddled between two different like worlds you've got the hearing world and you've got like the deaf world and sometimes we didn't really belong to either we weren't really hearing because my first language was sign language and that was a lot with my siblings too you know so I was raised signing and in and immersed in this culture and so I wasn't quite hearing but I wasn't deaf either and so in a lot of ways, we kind of felt like it it was a little bit difficult to try to straddle and navigate both worlds. Right, right. So that brings up a couple of other questions. Okay, so as a kid, you know, back in the day, um, oh, what was that movie? It was a great deaf movie. And it was like, you know, 1880s or 1860s or whatever. And um, deaf parents that have their hearing child interpreting for them in this, you know, terrible scene where the brother has died, um, as children did more back then, nothing to do with them being deaf. Um, but she had to interpret, you know, I want a, a dead box or a coffin. Um, did you have to interpret a lot for your parents? I know you wouldn't have to interpret them for school things. Um, obviously the church, you were doing deaf community that way, but like when they went to the grocery store, did you have to interpret for them? My parents were actually really good at not having us be that role. Like they were really good at understanding that that is not a child's role. Yeah. Um, You don't, you don't have your kid involved in adult affairs like that. You know, have your kid interpret for their own parent teacher conference kind of thing. But the problem was trying to educate other people and other organizations that that's inappropriate. Because instead of the organization paying for an interpreter to come, it was often like, well, your kid can do it, can't you? And yeah, yeah, exactly. Kind of a fight because my parents were like, no, that's not, that's not a child's role. And it's not my child's role. It's not anybody's child's role to interpret. So them. did they have um, enough English to say that or would they write that out? How would they advocate for you? And a lot of it was... Um, them advocating for themselves. And so before you could kind of, before it was possible to write notes on your phone and everybody had like a cell phone carrying around and everything, um, often they would just kind of write back and forth, um, a lot of correspondence through emails. Um, but that was that was kind of the main thing. Or, um, you know, way back when, it was the TTY. Right. So <laughs> the TTY was... Uh, a phone that kind of like some kind of signals like Morse code, but it wasn't Morse code that you have a device that the, you put the phone on and you would type into it like a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And it didn't occur to me that they don't have those anymore. They don't have those now. Um, 
those are so antiquated that heard them compared to like rotary phones at this point. Like, oh, that's so funny because that is how I learned how to type. Right. Me too. Me too. Yeah. So, fast typer, and it is all thanks to this technology. Yeah. Like I was, um, you know, you take that that class in high school typing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm 48, so I'm a little bit older than you, like by a decade, you know, Um, and you know, the, the class, I ended up having home study and having some really health issues that year. So I never really got good at the typing. And so the TTY is how communicating with deaf people as a missionary, because that's how I really learned sign was as a missionary. Um, and so we have to do that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I joke that God didn't want me talking. (laughs) (laughs) I know. So funny. Yes. But I, I also want to go into the, cause you kind of talked about how kind of opened the door to this and I want to dive into it more about how blunt, um, a lot of times I think the hearing world interprets the bluntness of deaf people as that they are simplified. And so let's debunk that because this is like a pet peeve of mine, because in the hearing world, for example, one time there was a, an interaction between a hearing man and a deaf man. And I mean, a deaf woman. And she grabbed me. I was actually in my booth selling makeup and skincare. And she grabbed me because she knew I signed and she wanted to go talk to her old boss. And I was like, well, I'm working, but okay. You know, so I go over and she goes up to him. And the first thing she says to him is you've gotten really fat. <laughs> and, and, and as hearing people we kind of cringe a little bit because we're like oh that <laughs> you don't and I have to give a lot of credit to this guy he goes yes retirement has been good for me I have <laughs> put on weight so he responded very deaf like this is the facts this isn't a personal attack you know it's just the facts like when I hit my hand with you know my fingernail and gave myself a thing they were calling me bloody chin mon you know m-a-u-g-h-a-n was my maiden name so they were like hey bloody chin mon you know and it took me you know a little bit and you know wouldn't be um considered rude in the deaf culture to be like wow you've got a lot of zits and so people put that that honesty and they're like oh they're like children because that's something a five or six-year-old would say, you know, and um, you wouldn't, uh, in the hearing culture, we, you know, we, we just don't say these things. <laughs> and uh, I love it because uh, there's, there's a, an open door of connection with that honesty. And I feel like to a certain point, kind of the self-acceptance, like, I know that if I've gained weight, you'll be like, what happened? And it's not like, oh, dear Lord, what happened to you? It's like, hey, like, what happened to you? Like, out of out of concern, like, right. I saw you, you looked different, and now you look this way, you've gained weight, what happened? And but there's such a great lesson in this, because it's not a personal attack. And when we use the things, what we visually see about each other, as personal attacks, we have a lot of division about that. Or the deaf people, the only thing they care about is how deaf you are versus how hearing you are. <laughs> and so, yeah, there's some uh, there's some identity groupings in that, right? But um, well, and and often what follows that. So if someone 
um, you know, if I had an old friend who was deaf come up to me and be like, wow, like you got fat. Like they don't want a like, oh yeah, I'm ashamed of this. It's like, oh yeah, I, you know, I just adopted two kids and, and, you know, goldfish crackers and, and, you know, fruit snacks are, are my meals now. And lack of sleep. Right, right. And then what usually follows is, oh, I know this person who had the same experience or, oh, you should try this. Or um, I know this good recipe for kids meals. So it's not meant to be this, this insulting or deprecating comment. It's like, I want to know what happened. And then I want to have a conversation about this. And maybe, honestly, I have something that could help you. And what's beautiful about that is you there's you don't hide when you're with people how often is in hearing culture you know have we said when someone says how are you you say fine and as an adult there's a couple of times that I've caught myself saying fine when I'm like no actually I'm not okay and then having the hearing person be like oh wait I didn't really want to know you know you can just tell by their body language they're really uncomfortable (laughs) that you're actually actually asking this or answering this in a a true reply but the beautiful thing about the deaf culture is you know you don't ask people that you're not close to how they are that is actually a very uh almost i don't know if it's an intimate question how would you describe that um i i think that's as good of a word as i would put with it right but it's not something you go up to a stranger be like hey how are you no, you ask if you want an answer. And and right. it's interesting in this, in like what we were talking about before, kind of straddling these two wor- worlds, I'm used to, hey, how are you? Hey, how are you? As you kind of walk down the street, like I actually don't want your answer and not in a cruel way, but that's not, that's not. Right. I don't want to know because I can't fix it this for the stranger. And there's like a certain <laughs> amount of social it's bubble awesome. that we have for your problems. You know, if you're like, right. oh, I'm constipated, I'd be like, oh. Oh, I don't have Metamucil in my purse, right? But, but a deaf person would answer that way, right? Right, and they—you don't ask unless you want to know. It's not this socially awkward. You know, you say, "Hey, how are you?" or "How have you been?" and they're like, "Oh, well, you know, I got divorced last year, and um, you know, my kid just graduated from high school, or you know, whatever it is." You have that conversation because you want to know. It's assumed that if you ask. It's not going to be a mm, fine. Yeah. You know, and you kind of smile and fake it as you walk past. Right. And, and there's a beauty in that because it's very hard to be alone in a room of people who actually want to know. But in the hearing culture, we have so many different layers between saying what is happening and what is real and what we're allowed to say. And so you can be in a room of people and feel completely alone. And I think that extends to just anyone, kind of regardless of your relationship. I um I interpreted at a college a few years ago and um I had one client I was interpreting for their class and I didn't know them very well, but also we had this professional interpreter client relationship and I came into class one day. I I normally wear makeup. I feel inhuman when I'm not wearing it. And one day I was just, I didn't get enough sleep. I was having a really rough day and I wasn't wearing any. 
And I walked in class and she goes, what happened? (laughs) And at first, again, this hearing culture world straddling issue was like, rude. (laughs) I mean, it was like, no, that's not, that's not what she meant at all. She meant you look different than you do all of these other days. And so what is going on in your life that made you look different today? Absolutely. I have this, uh, experience when I was serving as a missionary and someone walked into a large gym that had, you know, 80 to hundred people. I don't even know how many people. And someone said, Hey, where's a missionary, which I was. And I saw this person from across the room. So 50, 50 feet away say, Oh, the fat one over there. And, and I was like, I'm not, I'm not fat, you know? And then I looked at the visual picture and I'm standing next to a girl who's probably a size two who was wearing a very fitted jumper outfit right so no folds in her clothes and I'm wearing a jumper which probably should be banned for any girl <laughs> over a size five or six maybe we'll let these eyes no, you wear. rock it girl <laughs> well <laughs> it was one of those jumpers that like has the cut right above the stomach so even if you're trim it makes you look pregnant right? Mm-hmm. So I was wearing one of those and I just kind of step back and I look at the visual picture and it's like, I'm a size 14 in my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And I was wearing clothes that made me look, you know, bigger than I'm, than maybe my body is, but the visual picture is the fat one over there, the bigger person. And again, it's not a personal insult. It wasn't it's a judgment just, call. It wasn't a judgment. And I think that's so hard for the hearing culture, the European Victorian culture to break ourselves away from our appearance being everything about us. I mean, but, but honestly, if you think about it, it's pretty logical. If we're, if we're sitting in a room and I'm trying to explain somebody that I want to talk to that is over there. And you're like, I don't know who, like, I don't know who you're talking about. Like I could be like, you know, the, the, the girl that's over there with the brown hair. You know, the really good personality. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, she's got glasses and she's wearing like a um, brownish, tannish, um, yellowish tinted. Like, you're not going to do that. You're going to be like, okay, she's standing next to the skinny girl in the blue pants. And um, she's a little bit bigger, brown hair right there. And right. You know exactly who I'm talking It's about. very effective. Very effective. It's not... Yeah, it's just right. Like, and so I just raised my hand and I went, the fat one, the fat one. <laughs> Me. <laughs> you know? And um, it was funny because the person that had done that was like, you could tell that they were like, oh, good job being deaf. Right. Because they've been around <laughs> enough hearing people that they knew that hearing people get all sensitive about that. <laughs> but it's not an insult to call your friend, like when they're having their period or something, to be like, wow, you're really fat right now super bloated mm-hmm. and then they'll be like you should drink more water right see and and that's the like i think that's the key is that like you have a problem i'm noticing this problem that you have and i'm offering you a solution right you're super bloated i'm recognizing this about you because i care about you and i see this and therefore you should drink more water i'm offering you a solution to this problem. so it's is i want to go into mental health in the deaf culture because it's something else that i just love about the deaf culture okay so um, if you're in that inner echelon of deafness, you can really have like a nervous breakdown and the deaf community is not going to reject you, push you aside, call you complicated. 
Now, if you're hearing and you bring all of your complicatedness in, they're kind of like, you're hearing, like you're a guest here, you know, behave well, right? <laughs> but um, I loved one time I saw somebody come to a party and you could just see it on them that they were having a bad day. Now, typically in the hearing culture, somebody having a bad day will be like, okay, you know, like, cause they came through the door. You could just tell there was this weight. And typically in the hearing culture, like we'll like shake it off and we'll walk in, put our big smile on, you know, touch up our lipstick or whatever and be like, okay, <laughs> I'm here. Right. In the deaf culture, they went up to the first person and they were like, let me tell you something. And they gave like this 30 second synopsis of their day. And then they did this sign where they literally took that conversation because in sign language, we have like locational spots that you'll talk about different events in front of you. And so, you know, you and I are in front of each other. So if I were to refer to this conversation later, I'd be like, you know, pointing to that spot in front of me when I was talking to you first. And then somebody else comes up to the side. And so those locations are set up. So anyway, they're talking all about this and they kind of placed it in this location. And then they did the sweeping it aside with their hands. And they're like, now I'm ready to be here. Now I'm ready to this party. And I was like, that is so healthy. That is so. And now I'm ready to party. <laughs> no suppression of having to like. And um, I served with a sister um, in the, in my, our missions, we served with a companion where there were 24 seven and she struggled. We didn't have the word mental health then, but she struggled with some stuff. But yet she was respected for her honesty and her caring heart, even though she would kind of do some crazy stuff sometimes. But people just saw her and they didn't let these little social awkwardness stand in the way. And I just, oh, I celebrate that in the deaf community. Because what if we did that in the hearing world? Yeah. Yeah. I think that goes back to what you're saying. It, it seems like this this almost juvenile kind of thing. But, but if I'm thinking about it when we're teaching kids, so I have, I have a three-year-old and um, I was having a rough day the other day and she was like, you know, do you want to do this or this or this? And I said, you know, mama's sad today. And she was like, all right, cool. Like, do you want to cuddle on the couch kind of thing? Like, and it wasn't this juvenile. It wasn't weird. It wasn't awkward because it was just this like breath of, of honesty. And she was like, all right, like, okay, you're sad. Let's do this. You know? And I think that, that while upon first reaction, we think this, like this bluntness, this forwardness, this honesty is, is juvenile. It's incredibly healing and powerful that you get to just be yourself. If you're sad one day you go up and you're like, you know what? I'm sad. I'm having a rough day. And they're like, cool. Come sit by me. Right. And I, I just, and the other thing that you just illuminated was you were teaching your child healthy ways to deal with being sad that day. Right. Because we all have emotions. We all have difficulties. And, you know, a lot of these things that, you know, you can look on TikTok and there's more glamorization of cutting and suicide and breaking down because you have anxiety. So you can't do things and having the world augment around you then talking about your feelings, finding safe places, like the hundred of different things you could do a little bit more complicated to deal with your emotions. But when children fall back on what they're role modeled, and now your kids know that if they're sad, 
that it's okay to be like, I'm sad. Great. What are some emotionally healthy ways we can handle this? And sitting on the couch and having a cuddle, I think is a brilliant way to handle it. And honestly, admittedly, at first it was like, no, if I'm sad, that is not the responsibility of my partner. It's not her responsibility to have to deal with this or whatever. And so I really tried to just kind of like suck. But if you were yelling or, you know, acting out in an abusive way, your child's going to feel that. Right, right. Right. And that's what we tend to do when we suppress feelings as humans. They come out in unintended ways. And so you were teaching her that you get to be sad, but you don't make everyone else around you miserable. And you can also choose to be compassionate and do something about that. Or you can choose. There were times during the day that she was like, all right, you be sad over there. I'm going to go play with it. (laughs) Right. Right. Which was totally fine. That's not her responsibility to care for me. However, she took it upon herself at certain times to come up and be like, mama, mama's sad. Yeah. And you know, I, um, you know, I buried a daughter and so there was no way that I could hide from my children that this was a sad thing. But just recently, my kids said, you know, I don't look upon that time as a sad time. And I cried in front of them. They saw me tear up. They even saw me get a little angry when people compared the death of my child to a dog's death. And yes, I have pets and it's very sad, but do not compare my child to a, a, an animal. Um, so they even saw me get, you know, kind of mama bear about it. Right. But they overall, that time was not a sad time. And I think that when we are able to deal with our emotions in the current tense of what is happening right now, then last week I was sad. You ignored me three weeks ago. I was sad. You ignored me. And the guy's like, I'm sorry, you were what? Right. Cause we're sitting there stewing and all this, but if we can just be like, this is where I'm at right now and have a dialogue about that much healthier than how hearing society handles it of show up, show up with your best, put your best face on. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and I, and like in my like inner dialogue, cause I'm still figuring out this mom thing. I've been a mom for like almost three months. I'm still trying to figure it out. And I still have Which we have to, we have to get to this. We have to get to this part <laughs> of the conversation too. <laughs> I have, I have as a, as a blanket rule, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, but in my inner dialogue, I was thinking, I was thinking to myself, like, she's still understanding the world. She's still, honestly, she's still learning English and she's still trying to understand the world. So I can, I can just sit over here and be cranky. Every time she asks me a question and she's like, okay, I mean, it's, is it Tuesday? Is, is mom mad because, or why, why is today different than yesterday? Or in order to help her understand her world and understand the world, if I add an explanation to that, then I can say, you know what, I'm sad and I'm acting a little bit different today. Okay, so let's let's segue because I love deafness and it's awesome. <laughs> Feel free to ask questions um, of uh, Brianna or I because we will love it, right? Um, and Brianne, I'm so sorry. I keep putting an A on there because I just, you know, um, <laughs> Brianne, um, tell us about your new adventure of becoming a mom and how you got there because this is a great, from what I've seen, it's a great story. Um, okay. 
it's it's funny because I, I don't actually ever really know where to start because for me, I feel like it goes way, way back. I, I found out the other day, um, I kind of reread some texts from, um, like between a friend and I, and, and I decided to move to Maryland where I live now, where I ended up adopting my kids and everything actually a few days after my kids were born. And I had no idea, like, obviously that was completely two separate events at the time, but I didn't realize how everything kind of intertwined and everything kind of went together. So in that sense, I don't really know where to even start, but. Well, they were your kids. You just didn't carry them in your womb. Right. So I I believe we're all adopted from God. So, um, you know, some of us are just physically adopted too. (laughs) And I was just blessed enough that he picked me to be theirs. Love it. Okay. So catch us up. Yeah. So, um, I actually, it was, it was interesting. I, speaking of the, the deaf and hard of hearing aspect, um, I was invited to go to the Dominican Republic to give kind of a presentation to deaf educators and, um, and members of, of deaf schools where in this, in this developing country where deafness is, is often looked upon as, um, as something to be kind of discarded. And and if you were deaf, then your parents must have sinned. And, and the punishment by God is that you have a child who's deaf. And it's super sad that that kind of thing still exists in the world today. And America is incredibly advanced for deaf rights, but their cultural revolution was 1988. So it's their civil rights movement is very, fairly young. Right. Right. Which is, which is still, I mean, appalling that it was so young but even more appalling that other countries are still quite a ways behind us. yeah um yeah. and so i i um was invited to kind of co-present um at this symposium um interesting fun fact in the dominican republic they use american sign language what a little bit yeah there's a little bit of some like local signs and things. Okay. So the reason I'm like, so surprised is because American sign language is most closely read to French sign language has no correlation. Unintelligible to each other is British sign language to American sign language. So I would have better chance of communicating with somebody in France in American sign language than I would in England. The languages are different from country to country, just like spoken languages. And languages can only be transferred if you can see and hear someone or see them in this case. So you can't just like magically. So a lot of people don't know that. I didn't know that before I entered the deaf community. Right. So um, I co-presented. I, ha- I mean, I had a great time. It was it was just this amazing experience. And um, and then after the symposium was over, we were kind of touring the country. And I think there was a lot of there's a lot of kids that were just kind of playing barefoot in the streets and they were hungry. A lot of them were, you know, and I was just kind of like looking around and as we were driving around, I was like, this is just like, this is heartbreaking. Like, can I take them all home? Like, is it like, how big is my suitcase? And unfortunately that's illegal, but like. But also fortunately <laughs> it's illegal because not everybody <laughs> bringing the children over intends yeah. to give them a home. By and large, a lot of these children are being trafficked into slave labor or sex sex trade. So it is good 
but it is sad. It so. was sad for me because I wanted, <laughs> I wanted to bring you to my house. Right. Right. Um, but, and then one of my thoughts was like, oh man, like we, like people should really do something about this. This is a problem. And then the more time went on, I was like, wait, I'm, I'm people. Like I'm, I'm people. people. Yeah. I'm people. And I kind of molded over and thought like, oh, maybe, maybe I will adopt. And then I was like, that is ridiculous. I am a, I am a single woman. I am, you know, like I, what qualifications do I have? I know adoption is for other people, but adoption is not for me. But you have love and you're not going to beat them or traffic them. So I think, I think this should be the qualifier to be a parent. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously having a team to raise children is awesome um, because it makes it easier on you know, that I can be like, Hey, I'm having a bad day today. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I refer you to this other person, <laughs> yeah. but I, it was like, I don't, I don't have that. Like, is that like, is that something I want to do? Do I want to bring kids into a home where there's just one parent? Is that fair? Yeah, and honestly, I mold over everything you could possibly think of like why I shouldn't do it. And then there was this kind of nagging, like, okay, okay, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't do it and why you're probably really unqualified for this job and a hundred more reasons why you can and why you should and you should. And so I thought, okay, okay, fine, fine. I will, I I hear you. I will, like, I will look into this. And so initially I thought, well, growing up with deaf parents and I already know sign, why would I not adopt a deaf child? I wouldn't have to learn sign. Right have to learn how to advocate for them that's like I was raised doing that this is like this is the job for me right (laughs) right I was looking on um on a site where um kids were listed but it was a site specifically for children with special needs ah love it I was and you just kind of like put in like everything that you're willing to work with you know are, are you willing to adopt a child who who has autism, who's deaf, who's blind, who's, you know, and I just kind of checked off a bunch of the options that I was willing. Yeah. Uh, and I think there's a special place in heaven because yeah, I just, it just makes my heart so happy. There are people like you that'll just take whatever. And I admit when I was filling out adoption papers, I was like, I'm sorry, I want to help the kid. Cause I would have, you know what I mean? And I felt so bad that I couldn't, you can't answer 90% that question. I mean, but I, I don't think that there's anything wrong or bad with that. I think it like, you know, you, and I and just think you're awesome. And I'm tearing up that I love it so much. Cause I know there are people like you that do it. And I just, I'm like, awesome human being. <laughs> Cause these kids are, um, they're here to teach us. Every single day. And the interesting thing was I actually didn't end up adopting a child that was deaf. I, I, scrolled past a picture of this little boy and he was the most adorable the picture of your kids in fact I'm looking (laughs) at one on social media right now where um he's laughing Mm -hmm. and it's just like like the the laugh of Timo is just (laughs) without even hearing it he's adorable and I love it so much and what what are his um what are his issues so he has or his superpowers as I trained my kids to say when they were young. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So his superpowers are he has cerebral palsy. 
he has um, pretty severe epilepsy. Mm. Um, he has a form of hydrocephalus, oh, um, yeah. brain atrophy, um, and some delays. He's also um, been diagnosed from his like country of origin. Um, which, as- is, which country? Bulgaria. Bulgaria. Okay. Um, as having cortical blindness. Now, I'm still in the process of getting tested, so I don't know to what extent he has vision or not. Um, but he he does track. He follows. Um, so whether he only sees shapes or shadows, I don't know. But he he kind of can follow you. Um, I, I saw his little face, and I was like, okay, you know what? We're not going to be hasty. This is a big decision. I need to keep looking. I need to keep. I need to keep like keep scrolling, keep looking. Like this is a really big decision. And I kept scrolling for a long time. And every single time came back to this kid, came back to this kid. So I clicked on his profile. And I saw that he had a sister. Oh. Well, like, this is what it is. Like, I was only going to adopt one. And I was only going to adopt a deaf child. And, you know, now I have twins. And none of them are deaf. <laughs> so Yeah, I was only going to do this. And I got something completely different. <laughs> right? And, yeah. but after that, it was like, no, that, like, these are my kids. Like, I don't, I. Yeah. Well, I called the adoption agency the next morning and I said, hey, I want these kids. What do we do? And I found them when they were 18 months old. And they're twins. They're twins. Mm-hmm. Right. So his his sister is neurotypical. Um, she was actually the first twin out being born. But in between her and him, he had lost quite a bit of oxygen, mm. which led to a lot of his, his delivery. Right, right. But I, so I, I found them when they were 18 months old and I picked them up after they turned three. That's oh, I love this. So they spent their childhood, their infanthood in um, an orphanage in Bulgaria. Was this, um, in, were they treated well? Um, I've heard that there are other orphanages in the country that are worse. Um, but they were... I mean, again, I, I, I don't know much about comparison, but they seemed to be okay. Um, my son was, um, on top of all of his health issues, he was also um, failure to thrive. You can see every single one of his little ribs when we picked him up. And he, um, I mean, he, it, was, it was just heartbreaking. And, and at the same time, infuriating. So I was like, what have you been doing to my son? <laughs> like, <laughs> I know he wasn't mine until yesterday, but no, he was yours. He was yours as soon as you were like, that's, you know, I mean, um, I just, I love it so much. I love it. It's amazing. So, okay. I'm going to ask some practical questions like a deaf person. Sure. Okay. So we're going to be deaf culture as a single mom with two kids. Having three-year-olds is a lot of work. How are you supporting yourself? And one of them needs a lot of physical care and and on top of what three-year-olds normally need so I kind of say like I am a single mom in marital status but I am not alone as a mom and I have a really great support system I I have really good friends and family that are really supportive and really invested and and love these kids as much as I do and so I actually work from home as an ASL interpreter. Um, and right now I'm on maternity leave. I start back actually on Friday, which I'm a little oh. nervous about. 
Yeah. Um, I love that you got maternity leave adopting. Well done. Whoever is paying your insurance. Who, <laughs> is that you or what? How did? Yeah, actually through work, they're paying, they're paying the insurance. Awesome. Excellent. And I've actually been on. What interpreting agency are you with? Um, so I work for iYellow. iYellow. Okay. okay. It's in Maryland. Okay. Okay. But can you interpret for anyone around the country? Um, I can. I don't contract with them. I work I work full-time. A lot of interpreters do like freelance work, but I am actually like a full-time. Got it. I was a freelance interpreter for hospitals. So I was a, certified as a medical interpreter, which by the way, people, that's super cool. But anyway, <laughs> I was super cool, but um, I, my, we had a get together with my, one of my deaf friends, you know, Pam Maurer. And she's like, you really need to work on your finger spelling. I'm like, I know, I know. <laughs> And she's it's right. I have I have not practiced enough, so I need to work on that. But um, so who will be having your kids while you are working? Because you're going to be on location, I presume. I'm 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 working from home. Oh, you're going to work from home, but mostly for this company. So who's helping you with your kids? They're not screaming or doing what toddlers do during your interpreting. That's screaming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So actually, my friend, I refer to her more like my sister. That's that I think right. better. family that you chose and she chose. Yeah. 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 So my sister is going to watch them while I'm at work. Okay. Well, give your sister lots of goldfish. And what a gift that mm-hmm. these children have been chosen and that you're their mom and that you have this family around you. And it just, it just reminds me how crucial it is that we have our, I feel like it's like a thread to this conversation has been the value of community you know, from the micro level of, you know, a family and creating that family unit of support to a community that gets you, you know, that linguistic group, that racial group, whatever, but how we also interact as a greater community of humankind. So I, I love that. So awesome. And honestly, it, it you're right. There is not like I, Obviously, we've all heard that, like, it takes a village kind of thing, but I, I was like, well, yeah, yeah, but, like, you have your parents, like, you have your mom or your dad or, you know, whoever is your parents, like, that's who raises you, and then everybody else is kind of bonus. At this point, though, I, it has taken, like, a sense of community every step of the way. Adoption is amazing, and the process is brutal, and it was really hard. It's like a labor. Yeah, a really long 18 month labor. (laughs) Well, in that process, were you ever afraid you wouldn't get your kids? Many times, many times. Because I've heard of those failed adoptions and I'm like, it's a miscarriage. You may not have the physical ramifications of a miscarriage, but that was your child. You love that child. Your hopes and dreams for that child. And now they're gone. And I've been working for them and Especially because once the pandemic started, a lot of government agencies who handle a lot of the paperwork, because with an international adoption, there's customs, there's all sorts of paperwork that you have to go through, through both countries saying that, you know, we approve this kind of, this. Right, right. Um, And after the government, after, after the pandemic kind of shut everything down, a lot of it was government shutdowns and USCIS, which is U.S. Uh, customs and immigration services, I think. I mean, I should know what that 
It's all right. It's all right. Just slur it in your spelling, and then we. <laughs> That's the game. Yeah. Um, and there, it actually got to the point where a process through um, USCIS that should have taken about two months ended up taking seven. Uh, at one. And meanwhile, point, your kids are in an orphanage. And oh. at one point, my son um, had tested positive for COVID, and somebody had had it and brought it into the orphanage, and I. I tell you, I was panicked. Like, I can't, I can't help him. I can't feed him. I can't hold him. I can't take him to the doctor. I can't, I can't get him. His Are you able to communicate with the kids during this time? So they don't even, do the kids even know they're in the process of being adopted? Oh. I'm dying right now. That is yeah. like, what? So yeah. I already loved them and knew them. And, you know, before I even met them and and that was one thing I was really afraid of is when I first picked them up because I want to like run up and crush their little bones and hug them so tight. And, <laughs> but they're probably like, who, who are you? The blonde lady who's suffocating me right now. But and, were they, um, I mean, I, okay. Have I watched Annie too many times that every <laughs> orphanage wants to be adopted? You know, <laughs> I mean, were they excited about the concept of being adopted and I don't honestly think that they understood. I yeah, they're just so little. Yeah. I yeah, it was and and that's the part that is still kind of mind-blowing for me today is is that one day I showed up and took them away from everything that they knew, all of the friends they may have had, all of the caregivers they were familiar with, and I took them away and and never brought them back. And how scary would that have been for them? Or was it a good thing? Or, you know, and and my daughter is barely, you know, I mean, I say barely, but she is a rock star. She's learning English so fast. Um, but she barely knew Bulgarian. And so she didn't really have yeah, just three. Language. Yeah. Yeah. To Do you have documentation of friends and people from there or nope. No, weren't allowed to. Nope. Whoa. So I I have no idea who her friends might have been. I don't know any names of any caregivers. I don't have photos of any caregivers. I don't have anything wow. that can say, hey, this is what it was like. To be well, there. you can keep it alive in their own, their own story. And I love this. And I'm sure you've written all this down. So, you know. Not enough of it, honestly. <laughs> now, um, are your, um, is your daughter also learning sign language so she can communicate with your parents? Yes, yes. She, um, it's funny because teaching her sign has been kind of supplemental, which is a little different because I learned how to sign before I could even talk. But with uh -huh. her, I've tried to do kind of simultaneous and, and having sign language be kind of supplemental. And I tell you, sometimes it has really made a big difference because I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, honey. And then she'll sign it. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I totally know what you want. Um, because especially because she has some um, like some pronunciations are really hard just because Bulgarian's a different language. And right. Again, she's like totally different. <laughs> right. And so she says, um, she says rain, but it sounds like rain. Oh, there's a little K at the end of it. But I'm like, like a, like a rink. Are, are you, what are you trying to say? And she like brings her hand up, like rain. And she signs it to me. And I'm like, Oh, 
got it. Thank you. Oh, mom. Like you are not <laughs> listening to me. Just so you know, Brianne, that, that is totally normal. That childhood sass. <laughs> I am being clear. So you were not doing anything wrong on that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was joking with my friend saying like that, there's no way that that is like, there's no way that that's nature. There was no way she was born with that. That is a hundred percent like that attitude yeah. <laughs> 100%. so did they give you pushback that you were a single um a single parent that's going to be adopting these kids or is it okay no, no. i love it that's so great you, yeah yeah i'm I, a big fan of family huh i'm a big fan of family and creating family and having loving things and i wish that every kid could be raised where they were wanted you know, and valued. I have a friend that was adopted and um, she's Hispanic of origin, you know, and where I grew up, we all thought anyone that wasn't white was cooler, you know, and she was one of the cool kids. Um, And, you know, we were watching Cosby show on TV. And so obviously, you know, the, the darker you were, the cooler you were was pretty much my childhood existence. But um, anyway, I asked her, I'm like, how did you, and we might've been in the fourth grade. And I asked her, how did you feel about being adopted? And she's like, I feel great about it. I'm like, yeah, but what about your mom and dad? You know, referring to her bio parents, you know? And she's like, my dad was immediate. My, you mean my, the, the man that made me kind of thing, you know, she didn't really call him her dad, you know, but she's like, you know, for brevity, she's like, my dad was a mediocre um, rodeo clown. And my mom worked concessions. I was probably conceived underneath the stands I feel really good about being adopted by one of the premier podiatrists in Utah. And I was like, valid, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you know, we're pretty young kids, but she just turned to me like, is that the dumbest question that I've ever heard? <laughs> yes, it is. And I got the sense too, that she'd answer the question more than once. <laughs> so I hope that your kids get to be raised with a your heart. And, uh, I love this story so much and the deaf culture and the openness of that. And they'll be able to straddle all of these worlds and do it even better than you did. Cause that's the hope of each parent, right. Is that our kids exceed us. And I look, I'm enjoying, um, you know, after our message, you know, going and stalking a little bit of your story. And so keep sharing and, uh, keep celebrating your kids. I over celebrate my kids. And people say I spoiled them and uh, turned out pretty good. People told me all the time I was spoiling my kids. I'm like, spoiling with love and affection is impossible. That's not spoiling with uh, things possible, you know. But as as a parent who has adopted kids that didn't have that at all growing up, I don't believe that's possible. I don't think that I could cuddle them enough. I don't think, I mean, my son, like, after a while of like, you know, like the mom kisses the on your cheek, like, He'll sometimes like go uh, and kind of push his head away. <laughs> I, okay, like that's my cue to stop. But I am, I don't think he could get enough of those. Like, I don't think it's possible to cuddle them too long or, you know, yeah. to, to say I love you too many times, especially, especially with kids who've been deprived of that for so long that I, yeah. I don't think it's that I have all of their life to make up for. Those missing years, I think that there's just never enough. I don't think. Well, you know, my kids, uh, you know, didn't have, you know, they weren't in an orphanage, but um, the world, society, school, 
is hard. It's hard growing up. And there are people who will say poopy things and that you, we can give them a foundation of you're amazing. And I love you simply for who you are. No, I don't think you can do too much of that. And I, I, if I were queen of the world, every kid would be raised in a loving home. So, okay. So I like to, cause we could talk forever. Cause we like, I feel like we left the whole sign language thing dangling and the adoption. So it's like, we've had like eight conversations here, but these, these do have limits and you've got to go be a mom. And my kid has a doctor's appointment, so I'm going to have to tidy it up. Right. Um, so tell me what is your fuel? So that is something, maybe a habit that you have, something that lights you up a daily affirmation, um, whatever it is that gives you strength. Um, so I like gave a lot of thought to these questions. I even like wrote them down because I'm that's just kind of who I am. I have to. And it's so funny because we were starting the interview. Um, you were laying something up in front of you and I was yeah. like, she's, she's got her notes. She's got yeah. her notes ready. And I love that <laughs> yeah. <No, I laughs> because your sign language and you probably noticed me having to text my child during it. And you're like, you just kept talking, you knew, and <laughs> you know, I gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. It's good. <laughs> now, if it had preceded a rolling of the eye, then we knew the conversation wasn't going well. <laughs> okay. So what is your fuel? So I was thinking about this question. I was like, I, without like overdoing it, I would say like my fuel at this point is my kids. I, it was really, the adoption process was incredibly taxing. Incredibly taxing. Incredibly taxing. Yeah. And, and really trying and, and hard. It was just hard. And I would do it a hundred times over. I would do it a hundred times over for these kids. And I, that same energy that reminded me that God led me to them and that he was kind of by my side creating this path for me is the same energy that helps me get through these sleep deprived eating goldfish crackers for every meal <laughs> kind of days. Yeah. Okay. So what is your oxygen? So that is something, and I feel like you're just answer. I, I almost feel like I know your answer, but what is the, others may not see that as a part of everything you have become. Okay. So remember how I told you I prepped like, and when I, yeah. say I thought about this forever, <laughs> like, right. Right. Answer. Um, but kind of my knee jerk reaction was like, I would say the trials that I've experienced and as um, a survivor of sexual abuse and as, you know, all of these, all of these different trials that I've had, I feel like those have led me to, to a life of connection instead of in the opposite direction, instead of being um, bitter or, or um, you use air quotes like feeling broken, which I don't believe is a thing, but instead of, instead of pushing to this, I feel like trials have, have pushed me towards. Right. And isn't that the, the hidden gem in adversity, in difficulty, in pain, is there is something good that can come out of it. If nothing else, then what it makes us into. Right. So what we work on. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So what is your heat? And this may be a unique gift or talent that you give the world something that you're the most proud of. Um, so I think in the same vein, I, my, 
my thought was my um my ability to be empathetic and and to connect with other people. I believe that my contribution to the world is connection through empathy and and understanding and um I there was a quote from Marjorie Hickley that said there isn't a person you I'm probably butchering this quote but um but something like there isn't a person that you wouldn't love if you just knew their story. And yes. um and I think that connection and and empathy is the way to to love people because if we know their story then we know who they are and we can love that person. And that is a big part of what this podcast is about is role modeling, having conversations and just leaning into the conversation and realizing how amazing people are and the, the commonalities that we have, you know, we, uh, that I'm just grabbing my friends, but you know, people can go and do exactly what I'm doing and just talk to people, you know, take that time, make that intentional effort when you're at the grocery store, you know, at the hearing store, <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, that, you know, to connect with people and to see them through the eyes of that they're of value. If you're of value, then they're of value. You know, we all have that equality. And of course, I turn it back to how we're all children of God. If we're in Bulgaria, if we're deaf, if we're hearing black, white, gay, straight, whatever, we all have hopes and dreams. And if you learn about people, you'll never be bored, you know? And we all need that love. We can't, we, none of, we're all, we all need it. If we're three or for 48, like me, old, old. Okay. So I want to thank you, Brianne Vandergraaf for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.